Daniel, you're up. Okay, a, a quick question. Um, are we planning to finish this current book first before? Oh, yes, of course. Okay. We never quit in the middle. <laughs> all right. Um, Though there have been times, there was one book that we all really hated. <laughs> and we were so glad it was over. I don't know that Peg read the whole thing before, but we just didn't like the guy. And he never had any relationship in the book to anyone else, um, any other person. It, it, oh, it was sad. Okay. All right. The final mark of a Buddha is compassion. Compassion consists of two terms, karuna and maitri. Maitri is friendliness or, ki or kindness. Karuna means sadness or mooning, moaning. Ever since I became a monk, I wanted to know why there is sadness in compassion instead of just kindness. I didn't understand it. Finally, I learned that to understand it, you have to taste that sadness. It seems to me that what he's talking about is what we call empathy. But you tell me if you think, if you agree. <coughs> Emily. Karuna is not the sadness, pain, or suffering produced by your human consciousness or physical senses. It is a deeper sense of pain or pensiveness, a very deep and limitless moan that is beyond words. It is always in our hearts, but nobody can express it. That moan comes from a disconsolate irritation in the bottom of your life. It comes from wanting to get something, wanting to know something. So maybe this is deeper than empathy. I don't know, what do you think? Yeah, it seems to be, yeah. Yeah. More than that. I looked up disconsolate, and it's with no consolation, with no redemption, with no reason. Everyone has this irritation because we want to know something more than our intellectual understanding of human life. That is why we practice. Being a practitioner means wanting to know something more, but you don't know what it is. Why do you practice Zazen? You don't know, actually. Why am I a Buddhist monk practicing this way of life? I don't know, but I cannot stop. <coughs> I think everyone wants to be a practitioner in life. This is a human desire. Your desire really encourages you to make an effort to exist in this world, seeking for something deep. That's why we try to know what Dharma is, but it's very difficult to know what the real Dharma is. Through practice and study of Buddha's teaching, you can come very close. You can have a glimpse of Dharma. Then, in the next moment, dharma disappears. So you have to practice and study, and study it again and again. Finally, you come to the bottom of human life. Between the bot, oh, I'm sorry, yeah, Daniel. 
between the bottom of human life and eternity, there is a kind of partition. When you reach this partition, you find it very soft, like a curtain. Touch it and whoosh you enter and whoosh, you enter eternity. You experience the oneness of you and all sentient beings. Then you realize how minutely. No, minutely. Minutely. You know, you've heard the word minutely. No. Oh, uh, how minutely that's how uh, looking at it in fine pieces. Okay. Yeah, I see that. Uh, how minutely. Yeah, go on. Okay. How minutely your consciousness is vibrating, constantly creating a gap between you and eternity, uh, constantly separating you from others. And a deep moan of sadness arises from the depth of your life. I think we can understand Karuna as that moaning. Um, that's uh, that's very. I think of minutely as very small. So you're. Consciousness is vibrating in a kind of a small way in comparison with other things. Is that what he's trying to say? With great attention to detail, meticulously, uh, systems of politics are examined minutely by academics, tearing it apart. Okay. Meticulous. Putting it under a, a microscope. Mm. Minutely detailed descriptions, not missing anything. Minutia is little parts. Okay. Um, Avalo. Kiteshvara is the bodhisattva of compassion because she understands that deep human cry. We say that Avalokiteshvara hears the cry of the world. She has a great ear to listen to your deep moan. Then the presence of Avalokiteshvara gives you complete relief. And that is why she is the symbol of fearlessness. When I was with my teacher, I felt that relief. I didn't know what it was, but when I went back to the temple, I felt peaceful because of my teacher's great compassion. I think he talked about that last week. If you know the deep moaning of your own life and pay attention to others' lives, someday you recognize that the deep moan is present in everyone's life, and your cry turns into great compassion. Then, very naturally, you can share your life with others in a kind way. Even though you cannot explain it, understanding the deep moan in your own life spreads into others' lives and gives them relief. 
This compassion is the final mark of a Buddha. Well, there's nothing superficial about it. I guess it's, it's really getting it. What do you think? Is that how you're reading it? Really getting it, what's going through, what's happening, but getting it throughout your body. Is that I how think, you're reading? Go on. I think that it's uh, the way I read it. I was, as you were reading, I was thinking about that Vietnam veteran in that um, who became a monk with um, Thich Nhat Han, And he said that he had to come to terms with the pain that he had caused himself and others. And only after doing that was he able to become a monk and spread compassion. I, th I thought of him when you were reading that. I feel like sometimes he's abandoning uh, the topic and like he started talking about those two terms, um, Karuna and Maitri. And I was expecting to, that he will. I think we're still on Karuna, but maybe not. But, but I understand what you're saying, that it does seem that way. But this is my understanding of, of that he's still talking about Karuna, but I think this is something an editor sometimes does is, is pull the author back to, you know, to what he's talking about. And this isn't, I don't think this is well edited in that sense. Okay. You guys have that impression? I mean, that this is a hard thing to edit, <laughs> I think. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay. Nguyen? Beautiful and not beautiful aspects of life. Some people think it is nonsense to practice as in just sitting quietly without expecting anything. Well, there are people who are starving to death. So they criticize Zen and they ask me, why don't you save people from their suffering right now instead of sitting useless in Zazen? This is a beautiful thought, but I don't think it is beautiful. Beautiful thinking sometimes makes problems because it is too beautiful. <laughs> Are you thinking, Daniel? Oh. I'm sorry. Yes, I was listening to actually I was yeah, deep in thoughts about this. Um, real life consists of both the beautiful aspect and the not beautiful aspect. There are many aspects of human life. If you think only of the people who are starving, you may say we should save them. Then you try to mold your life into this idealistic way of thinking. Watch out. It is beautiful to want to save people, but pay attention to reality. Look at your own life. 
human life is very shaky. How much can you say? How much can you save you? It reminds me that way I felt deep in thought uh, that uh, I recently had a discussion about with a friend about uh, how billionaires should help or should not help uh, poor people, uh, people in suffering, how much they should donate, how much should they spend money on, let's say, building our future uh, in terms of the technology and development of the society rather than trying to save people from suffering. Uh, that's why I was trying to understand what the author here tries to say with this beautiful do you, thing. Do you know this, the saying, love afar is spite at home? Mm -mm. Love afar, you know, if you're not paying attention to your own life, it's kind of, uh, you're missing a big part of it. If you just, you know, if all, there's some people who can only love strangers. Mm. They can't love themselves and their own family. Mm. So he was trying to say that it is too beautiful as idealistic. I think so. It is beautiful, but you're missing something. And that's why he says, pay attention to reality. Look at your own life. Everyday life is really undependable. This is the reality we live in. You have to save yourself first but not to satisfy your ordinary karmic life, to open yourself. Then you can share your life with all sentient beings every day, taking good care of yourself and others. It's not so easy, but to learn how to do this, you can use Buddha's precepts as a practical guide. So this is why I guess in the Buddhist view, you can't just go out and save everyone, you have to sit to, um, to generate the compassion that's needed and, and to get centered so you can really be helpful. In the Buddhist initiation ceremony, you receive Buddha's three pure and 10 prohibitory precepts. Then we ask you, do you observe this precept? You say, Yes, I do. And even though you say so, sometimes it's really, no, I don't. Intellectually, your mind is complicated. <laughs> One moment you think, yes, I can. Next moment you say, no, I can't. So what should you do? How do you observe the precepts in your everyday life? How can you live without hurting others? Reflecting on that question is very important. For example, when we look at Buddha's prohibitory precepts, precepts, we think we should keep the precepts 
Perfectly. That's a beautiful idea, but if you want to eat, you do observe the precept of not killing. We no kill. killing, yeah. Uh -huh. That's a question. We kill in many ways. Even if you don't kill any animals, you kill insects, vegetables, grasses. If you keep the precept, precept, precept of no killing perfectly, your life can no longer exist. You will die of starvation. So how can we depend on the precept, precepts to show us the right way of life? We cannot say how exactly, but don't understand your life in a narrow way. Your understanding must be depend. Deepened. Depend, thank you. Mm -hmm. And your action must be refined. To deepen your understanding, first you have to reflect on yourself. Then you can make a determ determination to live in a certain way. Your determination comes from understanding yourself, your ideas, your thinking, your life, and your world. By introspecting your life, analyzing your understanding based on your education, your circumstances, your karma, your emotions, your past, present, and future, a determination appears. Whatever determination you make, your determination is very shaky. This is not something wrong. It's the world we live in. It's like snow on the Rocky Mountains. You cannot depend on it. Nevertheless, if you are a mountain climber, that undependable snow is an important place for you to build up your life. In everyday life, the undependable human world of samsara is your important place where you can live for the sake of all beings. So how do you make your determination sure and stable? Make a determination to live in a certain way and move your life in that direction. Strictly speaking, the Bodhisattva way is to keep our own life healthy and peaceful and share our life with all beings, living together day to day in peace and harmony. But can you do it? If you love someone, you don't love that person totally. The more you love, the more you can see another side of that person that you don't like. If you see someone you don't like, can you open yourself and share your life with that person? You can try, but in a corner of your consciousness, there is always hatred. In my own case... Wait, wait, is that true for you, you guys? Are there people that, that there's some hatred? That's a pretty strong word, I guess. Mm, might use irritation. Yeah, I don't feel that with my family. I mean, not that I feel with others, but I, that's just what I was thinking of. It seems that when he referred to love, 
he always has this black side of it. The, the last chapter, I think he was talking about hmm. something like this. It seems to be his thing, doesn't it? Not necessarily a, a universal thing. Is that what you're saying? Melin? Mm, yeah, and also that uh, the author has this specific way of understand human love as um, something I, good and bad at the same time. Hmm. I think so. You guys agree? Emily and Daniel? Yeah, I think in, in, in his mind, the word hatred is not as strong, maybe, as we know it. Hmm. I think in last last time we, we read something, and uh, I don't remember the, the, the word that he was referring to, uh, but he said that he doesn't know really the real meaning of this word for Christian. Uh, oh, we talked knows. about that, didn't we? Yeah, I've forgotten the, what was the concept. Uh, but uh, so maybe in a similar way here, like for us, hatred means like being angry to the level that you can kill somebody. For him, maybe being ha hatred means like just dislike somebody, mm. just different level of intensity. Yeah. It, the, the last the last chapter he was talking about uh, love and them being selfish. That when you love someone then you become selfish. And that was mm. kind of confusing too. Yeah, I think also he was talking about believing, uh, that, that he believes in something. That's yeah. But also in a different level, yeah. Should I continue? Yes, ma'am. In my own case, if I face some person I don't like, immediately I hesitate. I cannot open myself. My mind says, let's open. So I try, but I'm really just pretending. Still, there's no other way. So I'm constantly pretending to open myself and trying to approach Buddha's way. The more I try, the more I see the clear image of pretending finally i cry crying 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 and then finally i totally open my life relief <laughs> i don't know how much we should cry there are thousands millions of cries and then you open Hitting the target of totally opening yourself once is due to having missed a hundred thousand. Not a hundred thousand, millions and millions of misses. So in the shaky realm of human life, just keep trying to share your life with people around you and extend your warm heart into all beings in the world. That's it. That is proceeding in the Bodhisattva direction. 
it's pretty hard to proceed in the bodhisattva direction every day. It's not a matter of idealistic discussion or conceptual understanding. It's not thinking of a beautiful world separate from you. It really depends on your attitude and what kind of action you take. So sit down in Zazen and throw your egotistical thoughts away. Only through this practice can you gradually learn what you are. You have to really see yourself first, and then you can direct your body and mind. When you understand what you are, you can enter into the feelings of other, not only another human being feelings, the feelings of all beings, tables, trees, and vegetables. At the time when you learn what you are, it is the time when you can save others. The deep meaning of precept. The Zen master Kyogo, who was one of Dogen Senji's disciples, made a very simple but very profound statement about the meaning of precept. In your whole life, through studying practice, through meditation, please try to understand his way of expressing the meaning of precept. Kyogo said, Precept refers to restraint and extermination, restraint and extermination. In attaining enlightenment under the body tree, Shakyamuni Buddha fruited, uh, fruited the precepts. This is a name restraint. It means to adjust and come to a stop in the truth that I and all beings on the great earth both simultaneously attain enlightenment together. That is precept, which my teacher has never taught, nor has never, nor has ever the Buddha taught. This statement is found in the Bon Mokyo Rushado. Koigo's commentary on the Rahmalaya Sutra, which contains an early statement of the precepts for Bodhisattva. Kyogo says that in terms of precept refers to restraint and extermination, but this is quite different from restraint and extermination of a Sydney behavior. Kyogo also says that when Shakyamuni sat under the Bodhi tree and became Buddha, he fruited the precepts. Fruit matures naturally. So the precepts are the mature fruit of Buddha's life. Shakyamuni realized the depth of the human world, and the precepts appeared very naturally as the contents of his life. The precepts are Buddha's life. Buddha's life is the precepts. There is no difference. In this big scale of life, precept is the activity of the whole universe, which naturally ripens a tree's life, a person's life, <coughs> and the life of all sentient beings. This is the most important meaning of precept. Take, please remember this one. 
So I think the alternative to this is something that confines you, you know, as opposed to something which liberates you. You can use Buddha's precepts as a practical guide for how to take care of human life in the small scale, but first accept the precepts as a manifestation of the whole universe. Accept the precepts as the life of the mountain skies and all sentient beings and make them alive as your own life. Restraint is like drawing, draw, drawing a horse to a stop. It means to bring the same scale of your life to a stop. Where? In the truth that all sentient beings are Buddha. Your human consciousness is always creating some sticky strength between you and your object. As long as you have consciousness, you never get away from having an opponent. When you see yourself only through your human consciousness, your world is very small. In your small world, you're always discussing things, playing with muddy water instead of coming back to the pure manifestation of life. You are already a you are already alive as a human being, so you have to see yourself individually. But your life is also alive in the same and one ground with all sentient beings. So you also have to take care of your life in the big scale. Extermination is, simply speaking, to severe the root of delusion and return to the big scale of your life, which exists before subject and object are separated into two by your human consciousness. Zen practice is to severe, sever, 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 cut through. Cut, okay. Yeah, I didn't know this word. Uh, um, see here sever the root uh, the practice is to sever the root of that sticky dualistic consciousness and return to the very pure incipient stage of seeing and hearing where there is no difference between subject and object uh, severing the root of delusion all sense of self and other is melted away and perfect freedom is there. That is great maturity, which is beyond human speculations or evaluation. This is great maturity. This great maturity is already in your life because you're Buddha. That's why you can adjust and come to a stop in the realm of maturity. Hmm. I didn't know there was a realm of maturity. <laughs> say say that again. I said that I didn't know that there was a real realm of maturity. Well, it is just an, an, an it is just a, an expression that he's using. But <laughs> right, yeah. But there's maturity and maturity, and he's saying that there's. There's levels. 
Sorry, I'm thinking about it. Um, okay. When you stop in the realm of maturity, you are ready to accept the whole universe as your life. All are Buddha. This is the truth. So Kyogo includes the great statement of truth that Shakyamuni made when he attained enlightenment under the Bodhi tree. I and all beings on the great earth both simultaneously attain enlightenment together. This is called the same and one ground or simply the truth. I've always, always had trouble understanding this. What you know, understanding? Understanding the idea that that when Buddha was enlightened, everyone else was enlightened also. Mm. You know, and the explanation that sometimes people give to try to explain this to me is that uh, they're enlightened, but they don't know it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I could buy that, but I I can't. I could buy it kind of, but I don't. I, I don't. Um, I don't buy it. Okay. I don't understand it. Okay. Maybe he's going to explain it to me. Oh, hey, my I, turn. Go I also, on. Yeah, I was just thinking that the, I, I heard, yeah, this is also difficult for me to like, grasp it, but I also heard um, some explanations of um, that when, when you're born, then um, the entire universe is born with you. And then when you die, your universe is dying also uh, because yeah because it's just the, the, the yeah um, so maybe like in, in his world when he was enlightened then um, in his concept of the world everybody is enlightened as well Saying all are Buddhas means that there is nothing that you can throw away. Suffering, pain, unhappiness, deep moan, whatever it is, you cannot throw it away. The more you try to throw it away, the more it becomes a ghost chasing after you. So whatever happens, accept it and deal with it as Buddha. Finally. Kyogo says, that is precept which my teacher has never taught, nor has ever the Buddha taught. Your understanding of precept is not a matter of intellectual teaching. It is a matter of direct experience. The universe is going in a certain system and rhythm. It's not random. When that rhythm is alive in human life, it is called the precepts. All you have to do is stand up there and make it alive as your own life. How? Adjust and come to a stop in the truth. 
where you, your life, and your emotions are already Buddha. Mm. Um, you know, whenever we read, um, all you have to do, I, I guess, is vicious. Like, <laughs> they're, they're big. All you have to do is tell the truth. Yeah. You know? All you have to do is work hard. Go on, Daniel. <laughs> Receiving the precepts. Zen master Yokusan Aigen was asked by a monk, Master, you know that Bodhidharma went to China to teach the Buddha, Bodhidharma. I wonder, was Dharma there before he went to China to teach the Dharma? Yokusan said, yes, there was Dharma before Bodhidharma went to China. Then the monk asked, why did he have to go to China to teach the Buddha Dharma if it was already there? Yokusan answered, he went there because of its presence. In Bodhidharma's time, Buddhism was only understood intellectually in China. So Bodhidharma went there to make Buddha's teaching alive in the human world of China through its presence in his own life. This is called receiving the precepts. You wanna read another paragraph? If we are already Buddha, why do we have to receive Buddha's precepts? You could ask, why do we climb mountains? Before you climb a mountain, is the mountain there? Yes, it is. So why do you climb it? Finally, you say, I climb because the mountain is there. Or, Katagiri, why do you practice Zazen in such a stupid way? Well, I don't know why. Exactly. <laughs> I, just, I just practice because that stupid way is already there. That This is my responsibility. I have to make Zen practice alive in my own life, so I just climb the mountain. Otherwise, practice is always something separate from me. Finally, the mountain and I are communicate, and there's a big world there. That's why I try to climb Buddha's mountain. My uh, grandson turned 13 today, and we were on the phone, and he was talking about this book he was reading that was his favorite book ever. Um, about, and he called it magical realism. And he said, in magical realism, you don't have to explain why things happen. And so I was questioning him, like, do we ever know why things happen? Mm. You, you know, which seems to be what this is about, that we, we just do it because it's there. Yeah. But he's thinking of this kind of dualistic world where there's the things that we understand and then the things that we don't understand. And I'm more like there's there's uh, nothing that we really understand. Okay. So I guess I'm reading. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. 
So if we are already Buddha, why do we have to believe Buddha's precepts? Because we are Buddha. <laughs> to receive means to transmit. To transmit means to make something. When you receive Buddha's precepts, your body is made by Buddha. And you become Buddha. <laughs> In other words, your li human life becomes Buddha's life. Your life is Buddha. And Buddha occupies every inch of your life. At that <coughs> time, you become Buddha. Is this possible? I just want to comment something. Um, there was this um, Buddhism center that I um, used to go. And uh, when you received the precepts, the teacher gave you a name, he was Japanese. So he gives you a name, gave you a name, and then you accept it, that you turn it into this new, you know, something, and you were going to pursue the, the precepts. Hmm. It was beautiful. Yeah, we do that at Apamata too. Yeah. And we're what going... name did you get, Milan? I'm what? sorry? What name did you get? Uh, I did. <laughs> I didn't. Um, I didn't go to the ceremony because I thought I was not ready. Oh. So I didn't get any name. Um, and when when do you do this in Apamara? Well, after you take the the precept course, you know, a bunch of people just took it. It's going to start up again in the fall. So it's mm -hmm. a year long course, and you do one precept a month. And then there's a ceremony. And once you're in the course, you can also sew. There's about 20 people sewing right now, which mm -hmm. is by far the biggest number ever. What's what do you like sewing cloth or sewing the rakasu, the thing we wear? Oh, okay. And and so uh, and there's a, a ceremony for that too, to receive the rakasu and that you sew. Hmm. Cool. So you might want to do the course, all of you, if, um, in the fall. I did it like, well, I did it once somewhere else at Austin Zen Center and then maybe two or three times at Apamata. Not that I get it yet, but anyway, this is really beautiful what he's saying about the precepts. I, I like it. I like that. It, is it my turn? Whose turn? No, it is mine. Okay. Um, if you ask if it is possible, if you ask if it's possible, your Zen teacher will call you and say you are a coward because you are ignoring the fact that you are already great mature, mature fruit. So I was a coward <laughs> by not receiving the name in the other temple. So before you ask, you have to stand up straight, keep yourself in check, and come to um, stop in this truth of the great mature life that everyone has. So this goes along with that idea that, that everyone is Buddha, they just don't realize it, right? Mm -hmm. that, that what we need to do is just to re realize that we're already there. 
-hmm. day by day all you have to do oh i'm not reading yeah this is me now daniel sorry day by day all you have to do is push the button of maturity like turning a television and seeing the whole world come into one screen constantly pushing a button in really boring is really boring for us it seems ridiculous but we have to do it we have to do this simple practice stand up right there and practice wholeheartedly this is our responsibility this is to this is to observe the precepts practicing buddha's precepts the precepts are very important for buddhist practitioners but most people are concerned confused by the precepts i was just saying how much more okay do we want to stop here it's 7:59 yes yeah, yeah that's a good stopping point okay yeah. Do you want to, uh, are you guys familiar with the precepts? Do you want me to, uh, do you want to see what they are? Sure. That's like yeah, that's actually what I started the Googling. Okay, let's see what. This is good. Oops, sorry. Oh, I, I keep going to print and I'm then I complain to myself, you know, why is it going to print? Okay. Oh, here, why don't we In the MRO, MRO, which is the um, Zen Mountain Monastery, I don't know why. It's, uh, taking the Buddhist precepts is a significant and serious aspect of training. The precepts are unique <coughs> among religious ethical teachings in that they're based on the experience of no self. In essence, they define how an enlightened being functions in the world relates to others on this planet and makes moral and ethical decisions in everyday life. They are the basis of the rules and guidelines for all resident and visitors to the MRO's training centers. Receiving the precepts is a serious commitment open to only to formal students. A minimum of two years of formal training and participation <coughs> in a series of precept retreats are required. Upon completing these requirements, the student may petition to receive the precepts and if accepted, enter a week-long intensive tra training 
retreat with their teacher to study the significance of this commitment. This week of training culminates in a public ceremony called of Jukai, receiving the precepts. So they're broken up. The three treasures, I take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Then the three pure precepts, I will, I will not create evil, I will not, I, I will be practicing good, I will actualizing good for others. And they're, they're phrased many different ways. And then the 10 grave precepts, the things you, you won't do. Affirm life, do not kill, be giving, do not steal, honor the body, do not misuse sexuality, manifest truth, do not lie, proceed clearly, do not cloud the mind, See the perfection, do not speak of others' errors and faults, realizing self and others as one, do not elevate the self and blame others, give generously, do not be withholding, actualize harmony, <coughs> do not be angry, experience the intimacy of things, do not defile the three treasures. So those are the precepts. But you'll see, uh, um, you know, like five precepts, 16 precepts, all different numbers of precepts. Oh, I mean, okay. uh, they're not all the same. Mm -hmm. Here are 10 and five. I don't know how many numbers there are. Does it kind of depend on the Buddhist tradition you study? Yes, yes, yeah. That's why I wanted to get a Zen one. Mm. Here's eight precepts. They're pretty similar, five. Mm -hmm. Abstain from use of high and large seats and beds. <laughs> uh, so there's, there's many rules for monks. And I have this, these two volume books, it's about a thousand pages each, called, here, it's called the Vinaya, this is more Theravadan um, rules for monks, and it tells you every, everything you do, everything you should do. Um, should any bhikkhu accept rough cloth, robe cloth from the hand of a bhikkhuni unrelated to him, except in exchange, it is to be forfeited and confessed. That is, a, a woman gives a man a robe, he shouldn't accept it. It has to be forfeited. I'll read another one. Should any bhikkhu, which is a man monk, corrupt aversion disgruntled, using as a mere ploy an aspect of an issue that pertains otherwise, charge a bhikkhu with a case entailing defeat, thinking, perhaps I may bring about his fall from this celibate life. Then, regardless of whether or not he is cross-examined on a later occasion, if the issue pertains otherwise, an aspect used as a mere ploy and the bhikkhu confesses his aversion, it entails initial and subsequent meetings of the community. So when you're in trouble, then you have to stand in front of the community 
and and do this and uh, face your whatever you did. Should any buku sit intruding on a family with its meal, it it is to be confessed. So the bhikkhus only eat together. They don't eat. They eat uh, before, usually before the, the public, because they have to be finished eating by noon. So we would watch the monks eat, and then we would go to um, eat ourselves. Just goes on and on and on. I will not teach Dhamma to a person in a vehicle who is not ill, a training to be observed. I will not teach Dhamma to a person lying down who is not ill, a training to be observed. I will not teach Dhamma to a person wearing non-leather footwear who is not ill, a training to be observed. I will not teach Dhamma to a person with a weapon in his hand who is not ill, a training to be observed. I will not teach Dhamma to a person who sits clasp, clasping his knees and who is not ill, a training to be observed. I will not teach Dhamma to a person wearing headgear who is not ill, a training to be observed. I will not teach Dhamma to a person whose head is covered with a robe or scarf and who is not ill, a training to be observed. I will not teach Dhamma to a person walking ahead who is not ill, a training to be observed. Walking besides a path, I will not teach Dhamma to a person walking on the path who is not ill, a training to be observed. Are these the things they teach you in um, Apamata? Or? It's, no. No. Okay. No, no, no. No, this would be a Theravadan monastery, the, the rules that the monks need to follow. Yeah. In fact, the Austin Zen Center threw the books out. That's why I have them. <laughs> but they actually, I, I thought it was they were getting rid of them, but they actually had another copy that's in their library. Um, okay. So we're going to take 10 minutes. Is that good with everyone? Mm -hmm. Get ready, get set. So what touched you? You guys always make me go first. You want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. Yesterday, I made a list of the things I do, and today I realized I was a martyr. What did I not do? Take care of me. Yeah. So that's me not taking care of me. Okay. There were 28 things, so I got them all down here. It was a long day. Last week, I did a meditation where uh, I thought of a problem that I had been dealing with for longer than 10 years. And I conceptualized it as a rock sitting on my chest that I, during the meditation, sat down like 
took it off my chest and sat it down next to me. So that I was sitting with the problem and I could always come back to it at any time that I needed to. But I wasn't throwing it away, it was just there. And uh, that was, um, that was just like a practice meditation that I was just kind of learning about outside of this like Buddhist class, which is, I saw a lot of parallels to that um, in the reading tonight, where uh, on my personal journey, I'm trying to figure out how to sit with things that are disturbing sit with, with like maybe distressing memories or histories or thoughts in a way that is uh, not damaging. Um, and one of the avenues I thought about as I was sitting in meditation today was I began to think about all the things in my life that I could potentially fix. And I said to myself in meditation, stop and come back to yourself and just be with yourself, just sit with yourself. Um, and think of your light and expand just your light. That's all you have to do today, right now. So I found that to be very comforting tonight. This uh, stone, you didn't have an actual stone on your chest, did you? No, no, it was just like a, a thought. Yeah, but it seems like you kind of befriended it when mm -hmm. you set it on the side. Right. And that had a really good feeling to it for me. Yeah. What, was, what, was, what was oppressive became, you know, you could handle it when it wasn't on your chest. Right. Yeah. Daniel? Oh, no, sorry, I was just wondering if, if this visualization helped uh, to deal with the problem. For I think you. so, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. But everybody's different, so. Can you relate to this, Milan? Um, yeah, maybe uh, I wrote a little paragraph, I'll read it. Um, you cry because you break up with your boyfriend, then you come back together. You cry because your mom is sick, because your sister is not having a good time, because your brother is distanced, because you gave your pet in adoption, because the work is not going well, because you feel alone, basically because you are you. And why to cry then? get into the mature realm will be a gift, but it comes together to surrender to the small scale life, to accept the whole universe at your life. So I really liked this idea about accept the whole universe at your life and try to go to the big scale, which is super difficult at least to me there was one word i didn't get you cry because 
Maybe, maybe like four sentences from the end. Um, the last word of the sentence, I didn't get that. Because, well, I'll read that a little. Because the work is not going well, because you feel alone, basically, because you are you. And why you cry then? Get into the mature realm. You get into the mature realm? Uh -huh. Oh, yeah, you were asking about that, the realm. Yeah, the realm. The mature realm. The mature realm, like growing up, really growing up. <laughs> yes. Daniel, do you want to say more? Um, yeah, I was just thinking about this, the, the word hate, uh, that, uh, about the, how, how intense it is. And I was just thinking that, um, that uh, about the meaning of words and that at on one hand, they, you can, they're important. I mean, it's important to, to, to think about what you try to say because words can hurt people and they can damage uh, others and make a lot of damage in general. But at the same time, they are just words. Uh, so it's a kind of like this clapping with one hand. Uh, and, and I was, yeah, and I think one of the person that I feel very comfortable with talk, talking with is my brother that we kind of like agreed that um, sometimes we can be harsh uh, to each other, but those harsh. are only words, harsh, yeah. sorry, yes, harsh. Uh, but, but those are only words and, um, and um, so also when I'm, Yes, I'm, I'm, so I also, you know, with my, with English being my second language, and um, I find that very often I do not mean what I say, and other people do not mean what they say. Uh, and yeah, so, so try, try to keep very wide spectrum of interpretation for um, for whatever I hear. Um, so yeah and yeah but I but one thing that I mean I, I feel pretty um, comfortable in a pamada talking I feel like uh, that um i don't know it's you know that because um, yeah in the past i very often thought that yeah I, I just make full of myself and then um just taking the words very seriously now i try to take them less seriously um yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this, uh, but uh, 
the just the intense intensity of the words uh, struck me in this text. Uh, this, this this hate and the, how to think about this and you know thinking about what the author thought and then yeah. It's hard to know how he meant it because all these words mean something different to us, right? Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I find when when I'm harsh with my wife or she's harsh with me, it's most always something else in our lives that's causing this. That we're not really harsh to each other, but you know we're having a bad day or someone's irritating us a lot or something, and so we're taking it out on the other one. Yeah. I, I think recently she she was really irritated at someone. And so I became the, you know, the recipient, the recipient, which was all right. I, I immediately knew that I was the recipient and I said something like, you know, this is really hard for you or something. So, Okay. Thank you all. We're making progress. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye.